0: He just whispered in my ear, don't screw this up. (laughs) Uh, Before we turn to God's word, I just want to say a few things. The first is this. We've been in town. I've lost count now, I think four or five weeks, maybe it's six. Uh, Thank you for how you all have welcomed us and loved us. Um, You don't even know us, and people are telling telling me we're glad that you're here. I'm like, wait till you get to know me before you say stuff like that. Um, But it has really been a picture of the gospel for us because you have welcomed us into your family like we are family, and you don't even know us. And we just want to say thank you, say thank you on behalf of Beth and our kids. Um, Thank you for your kindness and your love and your generosity as we have like blown up an old life and we are digging in to start a new one here. And we are so excited for it. We are so excited about what's happening here at Midtown and we are so grateful to be a part of it. So thank you. Uh, The other thing I want to say is I know that this could feel like a heavy moment for a lot of people. Uh, Randy has been the pastor here for a very long time, and this is not, I don't take that moment lightly. Uh, I have gotten to know him a little bit, obviously, through this process, and I just want to put some of you, hopefully, a little bit at ease uh, as we kind of transition into this new space. Uh, It turns out that Randy and I have a lot in common. Um, We both have a daughter named Maggie. (laughs) Is God in this or what? I mean, come on. (laughs) Um, Randy, is, Randy is kind and patient and generous, and I want to be kind and patient and generous. Uh, Randy rides motorcycles. I have played video games that have motorcycles in them. We gotta, I think it's gonna be a pretty smooth transition, don't you agree? <laughs> Uh, that said, I have felt the weight of this moment for a long time. Um, I know this is like, I don't wanna be uh, melodramatic here, but there's, there's like some weight to this moment. And so here's what I just wanna say. My hope and prayer for these next 30 or so minutes is, is that uh, for all intents and purposes, I would disappear. Because this moment is really not about me. I know first impressions are so important. And I know some of you right now are like, his hair's a little funny and maybe it is. Some of you are like, his jeans are too tight and they probably are but this is not about me. It's about a message and not about a messenger. And so my great hope as we turn to God's word is that he will speak uh, to all of us because my words don't help anybody, but his words are literally the source of our life. And so I pray uh, that he would hide me behind the cross and that uh, simply God would be seen, felt, and heard in these moments. So will you pray with me to that end? God, we thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house this morning and to give you uh, our praise and our worship, the one, the only one who is worthy of our praise and worship. And so as we turn now to your word, God, I ask that you would just quiet our hearts we bring in all kinds of distractions, frustrations, disappointments, and I pray that you would uh, allow us to push those to the side that you might only be seen. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive what it is uh, that you might teach us, show us, help us learn this morning, and we pray, God, that we would not leave here unchanged uh, because we have had an encounter with the living God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, With that, uh, I'm going to invite Elisa up to read today's scripture. It is Isaiah 65, verses 17 through
1: 25. Okay, the word of the Lord. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. And their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord.
0: Amen thank you. There was puke everywhere. How's that for an opener? Uh, There was puke everywhere because we had two little kids. We have four kids now, and um, over the last 12 or 13 years of my life, uh, there was puke everywhere. It could be the beginning to maybe two dozen stories uh, that I could share with you. The one that I am particularly thinking of right now, uh, we just had two. uh, They were maybe about three and two years old, and um, we had put them to bed, and it's always at night. Is it not? Why is it always at night? (laughs) And uh, you start hearing that coughing. That's not a normal coughing. And you know there's something that's going to follow that cough. Uh, And our older one, you know, threw up all over her bed. And then um, there's this awkward, not awkward, there's this like really tense moment uh, when you have little kids, when it's like after they yak the first time, it's like, when's the next one? Is it going to be 20 minutes? Is it going to be two hours? Or by some great miracle of God on high, is that going to be the only one? Never is it the only one. And so, put her in our bed, you know, 30 minutes later, all over our bed, and then the little guy in his crib, he starts going, and in a few hours, we're all sleeping on towels. You know that? Listen, I saw all the kids up here. You all know what I'm talking about. When God said, be fruitful and multiply, you took him seriously. And so, uh, puke everywhere. I got to get up at five the next morning to go to Toledo, Ohio for a work presentation. It was beautiful that time of year. And level of exhaustion was through the roof. And, uh, you know, every 20 minutes, we got kids ralphing. And at some time, at some... (laughs) You know, God forsaken hour of the night. I'm just drifting off and I hear that coughing again from our little guy's room down the hall, he's in his crib. We'd put a bucket in his crib and so I run down the hall and do you know what it's like when you have like a toddler and they don't wanna be held and they just go limp? And it's like a kid who weighs 20 pounds now weighs 150 pounds. Well, that was our little guy. It wasn't because he was mad. It's because he was so exhausted and so tired he couldn't hold himself up. So I'm holding my 150-pound two-year-old, aiming his head at a bucket so it somehow by some miracle won't get in the crib. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I don't, I'm exhausted. I I know some of you are in this season of life right now. It's totally overwhelming. I I don't know when I'm ever going to get another good night's sleep. I'm not sure how much more I can take. And do you know what I needed in that moment? Not a stiff drink. (laughs) I needed someone who had the authority further on down the line to come alongside me and say, it's not always going to be like this. I needed someone who could speak into my life in that moment and say, as, as hard as it is for you to even see like two steps in front of you, it's not always gonna be like this. You, you will get a good night's sleep someday. I'm still kind of waiting for that one, but I know it's coming at some point. Like it won't always be this hard. They will get older. There will be, there will be sweeter moments. It's not always gonna be like this. This is not a, a sermon on parenting, uh, but this is just a freebie for you. If you're in that stage of life right now, I am here to tell you this morning, it will not always be like this. If this was a Pentecostal church, there would have been some amens in that moment. (laughs) It's not always going to be like this. Uh, But it's not a sermon on parenting. Uh, It's a sermon on Advent. And so what I want all of us to try and see this morning is it is not just parents with young children who need to hear, it's not always going to be like this. We all need to hear, it's not always going to be like this at different moments and seasons in our life doesn't matter what your station in life. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, whether you're young, old, whether you have a lot, whether you have a little, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you're married, whether you're single, whatever your station in life is. This is a truism. Life is hard. It just it's just the way that it is. Life is hard even in a place here like Green Hills or 12 South or whatever this area is called. I'm still trying to figure it all out. <laughs> But I drive around this area these last 4, 5, 6 weeks and it's like this place is just full of beauty. It is beautiful people and beautiful homes and beautiful cars and beautiful schools and so much affluence and so many resources. And when you live in a place like that, it is easy to start to believe something that is not true. It's easy to start to believe that difficulty, that suffering, that hard times That that things like divorce and broken relationships and hard things at work and crummy jobs and mental health issues, that those are the aberration, that those are the exception, and the baseline is good, fine, easy, and simple. But that's just not the way life is. And in fact, it's actually the opposite. The baseline for life is hard. The baseline for life is frustration and disappointment and kids puking all over themselves in their bed. And the seasons of life where someone can ask you, How are you doing? and your answer is, I'm good, and actually mean it, those are the exception. Those are the aberration. Those are the abnormal seasons of life. This guy's kind of depressing, huh? I'm just trying to keep it real. And so, whatever your station in life, there are some of us here this morning who are like, Uh, Yeah, life has not given me good things, and I would love to hear that it's not always going to be like this. But there's some others of us for whom life is pretty good. The lines, as the psalmist says, the lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Even those of us who have, have found great success and, and done all that the world would expect us to do with the things that God has given us, even those of us in those situations still need to hear, it's not always going to be like this, because is there not something inside each one of us that longs for something better? Is there not something inside all of us, wherever you're at in life today, is there not something inside all of us that says... I, I hope it's not always like this. There's a great video, and maybe I should have showed it. Uh, There's a 60 Minutes interview with Tom Brady after he won his third Super Bowl. You can find it on YouTube. And he's just like, I hope there's more than this. So whatever place you're at in life, is there not something inside of us that longs to hear it's not always going to be like this? Well, that's what I'm here to tell you today. Because that's what God is speaking to us in the passage that we are looking at today. God is saying to us, it is not always going to be like this. We're in our last sermon of the Advent series. And we've been preaching Advent out of the book of Isaiah, which is awesome. Because Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel. Because even though Jesus isn't named in the book of Isaiah, he is the central character. He is the hero of the story that gets mentioned and brought to you time and time and time again. And as we're sitting here in Advent, can I remind us that Advent is simply a Latin word that means arriving or arrival or or coming. And as, uh, as we look at Isaiah 65 together this morning, I just want to remind us of the context of Isaiah. If we were able to read the whole book of Isaiah, here's what we had found. Isaiah was a prophet that lived about 700 years before the first advent of Jesus Christ. And it was a time when the, the dual kingdoms of Israel, the Northern kingdom of Israel and the Southern kingdom of Judah were in a mess. They were under attack from foreign nations. Their lives and their nation were literally crumbling in front of their eyes. And the prophet Isaiah's message to the nations of Israel and Judah is this. Things are a mess. It's going to get worse. And it's all your fault. I'm sure he was a very popular guy at that time. That actually wasn't his message. It was God's message to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Things are a mess. It's going to get worse and it's all your fault. And if you read through Isaiah just over and over and over again, God is like, you've really messed it up. You've really messed it up. You've really messed it up. But when you get to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah 40 verse one, there's this shift in tone. It's been like, you're in a mess, you're in a mess, you're in a mess. And then Isaiah chapter 40 verse one says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And as we continue through the prophet Isaiah's message to God's people, what we start to see is that God is saying, you're in a mess and it's about to get even worse than you can imagine, but it's not always going to be like this. There is hope in the midst of how dark things feel to you right now. And this passage, Isaiah 65 is one of those passages in Isaiah where God is speaking tenderly to his people. And he is saying, even though you've messed it all up, even though it looks like all is lost, it's not always going to be like this. And he has the same thing to say for you and I today. Maybe not, it's all your fault you me- Well, no, yeah, it's all your fault. You messed it all up. But it's not always gonna be like this. Three things I wanna draw to this passage uh, in the rest of our time together this morning. And the first is this, God is not done creating. God is not done creating. So if you look back at the passages that we're looking at today, verses 17 and 18, read them with me. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. When you are reading the Bible or you are studying the Bible and something gets repeated multiple times, that is usually a really good sign that it is important. And so did you see what was repeated three times in those two verses? I create He is a God who is creating and he is still creating. He is not done creating. That word in Hebrew is only ever used of God in the Old Testament. It is not that man can create something. When that word shows up here three times in these two verses, it is something that only God can do. And there are two areas in the Old Testament where that verb shows up multiple times. One area is here in the book of Isaiah. The other place that that word shows up, I create or created, is where? You guys are sharp. The first chapter of Genesis, first two chapters of Genesis, first verse of the entire Bible, first sentence of the whole thing, in the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. And then for the rest of chapter one, all it talks about is everything that God is creating. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars. He creates the land and the seas to separate the land. He creates the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals on the land. And then he creates humans. And then what does he do at the beginning of chapter two? He says, this is very good. And he stops creating. But then do you remember what happens in Genesis chapter three? This thing called sin enters the world. I was going to say a little thing called sin, but it's not really a little thing. It's kind of a big thing. Genesis chapter 3. For reasons that we will never know this side of eternity and we may never know on the other side of eternity, for some reason this thing called sin enters into God's good good creation and it infects everything. It mars everything. And yet, before Genesis chapter 3 is over, God is already back at work creating to undo the damage that sin has done to his good creation. He he creates clothing for Adam and Eve before he sends them out of the garden. And the story of the rest of scripture from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22 is the story of God's continual creating and recreating and working to undo what sin has done because God is not done creating. Anyone in here familiar with uh, deism? You might have learned about it in school. I did. It's really more of a philosophy than a religion. It's been around for a long time. Got a lot of traction during the Enlightenment. Do you remember what deism teaches? I remember this from high school. Deism is about the great clockmaker in the sky. Deism says Genesis 1 is is true. There is a God. And he created the world. And he created you and me. But after he was done creating, he exited. And he's just watching things unfold and seeing what a mess it is and kind of like, hey, it'll be interesting to see how these guys figure it out. Do you know what we call that? A heresy. It's garbage. Because nothing could be further from the truth that scripture teaches us. God created the world and everything in it, and it was good, and sin infected it. And God got right back to work creating and working and recreating and working against the damage that sin had done in his good creation. Jesus says so himself. Some of you might know the story in John chapter 5. Jesus heals a, a lame man on the Sabbath. And uh, the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders are upset with Jesus. It's like, you just gave a man his life back, but you did it on the Sabbath, and you weren't supposed to do that, and so they're upset. And John 5, 17, right at the end of that, that story, Jesus says this. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. What's he saying? God is not done creating. My father and I are working to undo the damage that sin has done. We are still creating. We are still working. God is not done creating. And that's exactly what the first two verses of Isaiah 60, or the verses 17 and 18 of Isaiah 65 are telling us. Uh, There is a little park. I don't know my directions yet. Somewhere down the road called Brown's Creek Park. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you know of it and have been there. I I went there a couple weeks ago and I'm new in town. And so if I didn't know any better I would just think this is a beautiful little park with some great little trail, you know, pathways walking through it, and a and a creek there. But what someone told me, and I have learned since, is that that hasn't always been a park. That at one time that was a neighborhood, and in the flood of 2010, that neighborhood was overwhelmed by floodwaters, and some of those houses had water six feet deep inside of them, and so they were condemned. And I don't know all the details. I don't know how this all played out. I can't imagine the trauma for the people who lived there and what it did to their lives. Uh, and, and so they, got, they received money from, from the government, and they went and got houses elsewhere. And now it's a beautiful park. But if you go over there, you will notice that there is one house still there in the middle of the park. And I don't know who lives there. I don't know the story behind it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about it. I'm doing something dangerous as a preacher, talking about something I don't really know about, which you do more than, more than you expect as a preacher. Um, I want to believe it's because they loved it so much, but presumably that house was just as damaged as all the others. And whoever owned it decided we're not going to condemn this. We're going to rebuild it. And that is exactly what God is doing to this world this world should have been condemned. It was destroyed. It was, it was totally jacked up. And God looked at this world. And instead of saying, I just should just tear that thing down and start a new one. He said, I love it so much. And I love the people in it so much that I am going to rebuild it. I am going to recreate it. And there is someone here today who needs to hear that. Whatever is going on in your life, however distant God may feel right now. And I have been there when it feels like, are you even there? Are you even working? Like, what is the deal? God is always at work. My father is working and I am working also. Like, you may be in the guest room and he's working in the garage or the basement and doesn't feel like he's doing anything that you can see, but God is at work even now. And there can be other seasons of your life where it's like he's redoing the kitchen and you get to sit at the island and watch him do it because it's so beautiful. God is not done creating. That's the first thing I want us to draw to this passage. Here's the second thing his new creation will not be like this one. His new creation will not be like this one. So let's just, uh, that's really kind of the summary of the rest of these verses that we're looking at. So if we do just a quick jog through verses 19 to 25, look at what it says. Verse 20. Or excuse me, verse 19. In this new heavens and new earth that God is creating, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. There won't be sadness. There won't be distressed. No more shall there, be, shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Children won't die. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. Now, this is a little bit hyperbole. No one's actually going to die in the new heavens and the new earth. We don't have time to dig into that right here. But it's not going to be the way it is right now. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain. Now we hear some of that stuff and we're like, Like, so you won't build a house and someone else live in it. You won't plant crops and someone else eat them. We don't plant a lot of crops, so that's not a big deal to me. But think about what this sounded like to the people that Isaiah was speaking this to or to writing this to. All they knew was oppression. All they knew was occupation. They were seeing their families deported. They were seeing enemy nations come in and live in the houses that they built and eat the food that they had grown. And here comes God through the prophet Isaiah into that moment, and he says, there will be a day when you will build a house and you will live in it. There will be a day where you will plant food and and no one will take it from you. There will be a day where your work will not be in vain. Now skip with me ahead to 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Do you hear what he's saying there? The laws of nature will be reversed. The... Wolves and lions will become herbivores and lambs will become vicious killers. I'm just, (laughs) that's not what he says. We have, we have a set of laws that we expect, like gravity, like that we just expect to be the truth. Wolves eat meat, lions eat meat. In God's new heavens and new earth, the laws of nature will be upended. It will look so different from what we have seen, from what we have known in this creation. And, and what he's describing there in verse 25 is what? Peace, total peace, no conflict, unending and perfect peace, which does it remind us of anything? not Christmas dinner. (laughs) Genesis 1 and 2. God is saying here through the prophet Isaiah, one day I'm going to bring this sucker full circle and we are going to be back right where we started and it is going to be perfect. It's going to look a little bit like what you know now, but it's going to be really different. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I was in seminary and a show came out on Netflix called Stranger Things and I watched the first, I'm not really a scary movie guy, my wife is not really a scary movie person at all, so I I watched it by myself, but I watched the first season of Stranger Things. I know we got like three or four or five more since then, I have not watched the rest of them. Not any, just not any reason, just didn't watch them. But the the premise of that, that show, Stranger Things, for those who may not be familiar, is that in a small town in Indiana, a portal has opened up to a different dimension. And for those who travel through the portal, the dimension on the other side is called the upside down. It looks just like the world that we live in here. The buildings are the same, the roads are the same, the cars are in the same places, the, the trees, the forest, the yards. It's the same. They're in the same town when they go into the upside down, except it's totally dark, there's no sunlight. There's like crazy lightning, I think, sometimes in the sky. There's this weird mossy stuff that's growing on everything. uh, And there are evil creatures there that are out to destroy you. It's a shadow land. And here's the thing. We think we live in the right side up here, but we actually live in the upside down. This is the dark shadow land compared to what God intends for us and what he is one day going to create we, we think we live in the, the world of sunshine and roses, but we are actually in the upside down. The reason, the reason that we sometimes love this place is because sometimes it reminds us of the new creation that God is going to create. So it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to rhyme with this place. God doesn't say I'm blowing it up. He says I'm creating a new one. And so w- there will be things that will look similar, but it's going to be totally different. And, and there's going to be peace, there's going to be joy, there's going to be hope, there's going to be all these things the candle represents, and it's going to be perfect. It's going to remind us of where we're at right now, but it's going to be totally different. God is not done creating, and the new creation that he is creating is not going to be like this one. So let's try and like, uh, connect the dots now. How does this connect to Advent? Like, What does this have to do with uh, eight pounds, six pounds, tiny baby Jesus in the manger <laughs> here in Isaiah 65? This is the last thing I want us to draw to this passage, and it's really kind of just a summation of the whole thing. You could miss the first advent. You will not miss the second advent. You could miss the first advent, but you will not miss the second advent. Do you remember what Matthew tells us uh, happened in the, uh, the moments, not like immediate moments, but in the weeks, months, years after Jesus was born? Some guys came from a foreign land, the three wise men, right? Magi. And they, they, they come to Herod first. Herod was kind of the puppet king of Palestine at the time. They're like, There's a new, we saw a star. There's a new king we think was, is here. And do you, do you remember what Herod says? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. If you find him, let me know where he is. And he says, I want to worship him, but that was a lie. He wanted to kill him. The king of kings, lord of lords, prince of peace, author of creation, sovereign over all, had just descended into Herod's backyard and he didn't know where he was. Now, like we don't need to go in too hard on Herod because as Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus humbled himself and he took on the form of a, of a man and was born as a baby. And so here's the king of kings, lord of lords, lying in some swaddling clothes in a manger in some small town in first century Palestine. But for 2,000 years, people have been asking the same question that Herod asked. If you can find him, let me know where he is. And then maybe I'll worship him. You could miss the first advent and you can still miss it today, but you will not miss the second advent. Look at what John says. John received a vision of the end times. This is Revelation 21. Look at what John says about the second advent, verses one to five. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne and said behold i am making all things new then i saw a new heaven and a new earth sound familiar isaiah 65 and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband now maybe this is allegory maybe this is like a vision and it's not really how it's going to play out or maybe this is literally how it's going to happen especially when you look at what Paul says about the second advent in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You know, in Philippians 2, it says uh, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why do you think that will be? It's because Jesus is going is to rule with an iron fist and just pound his opponents into subjection until they acknowledge who he is. I don't think so. I think it's because when he comes back, He's going to come in such a way that everything in all of creation will have no choice but to acknowledge that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords and that he is exactly who he said he is. You could miss the first advent, but you will not miss the second one. So what does that have to do with Isaiah 65? What does a down payment have to do with a mortgage? What does earnest money have to do with the offer on a house? What does an engagement ring have to do with a marriage? It is one party saying to the other, this is how serious I am that I am going to do what I have told you I'm going to do. The first advent was God's down payment for the second one. The first advent was God's, this is kind of a weird way to say it, it was God's engagement ring, for lack of a better term, on his second one. God is like, look what I did the first time. I sent my son, my only son, my beloved son, the one that I love to do what you could not do for yourself, to die on a cross in your place and restore the ability for you to have a right relationship with me. And if I did that, do you not think I will fulfill everything else I have promised you in scripture? The first advent is the reason we can say God is going to make all things new. It's the reason we can trust him when he says it is not always going to be like this. The first advent is God saying, I am good for it. Because one day Jesus will come back and make all things new. Here's the last question I just wanna leave us with this morning is this, are we excited about that? Like I think first service, they were like, yeah. (laughs) You all are like, hmm. But actually that's better for what I'm trying to say. Good job. Because here's the deal. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. How many of us, given the choice between tomorrow morning clouds parting, trumpet sounding, archangel yelling, Jesus descending, new Jerusalem, all things new, okay, that or making partner? Or getting the next round of funding? Or getting that proposal you have been waiting for or having that child you have been longing for or the new house or the trip to Europe? or the trip to Bora Bora, or whatever it is, so many of us are like, I actually kind of want to experience that first. Like how many times, and I have said this many times in my life, this is, uh, this is a we thing, not a you thing. How, how many times have I said, I hope Jesus doesn't come back until, <laughs> until I get married. And actually that's incredible. But that will pale in comparison to what it will be like when Jesus does make all things new. We have, we have such low expectations. We are so um, it is so easy for us to be distracted by lesser things that always overpromise and always underdeliver. There is nothing This shadow land of a world can offer us that will compare to what it is like when we see firsthand the God who is making a new heavens and a new earth where the lion and the lamb will lay down together. May we enter into another Christmas finding joy in that, finding hope in that, finding love and peace in Jesus, the one who can actually give us those things and not a new house or a new beamer or a new vacation. Nothing wrong with those things at all, but they are, they, they are nothing compared to what God is offering us here. So as we wrap it up and we head into a, a, another Christmas, here's my hope and prayer. I hope all of us find the things that these candles represent in the coming days and weeks. I hope we find some sense of, of peace and hope and love and joy. But my prayer is that we find them in the source of those things. Jesus Christ, the baby lying in a manger who one day is coming back as a conquering king that no one will be able to deny. And not in the things of this world, not in a new iPad under the tree. I would love a new iPad. But it pales. It pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ is offering us. And here's the thing. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until the second advent to have him. Every day can be Advent for you and I, for those of us who come to Jesus and say, I cannot do this myself. I need you to do it for me. And his promise, if you do that, is that it will not always be like this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? A A new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Come to Jesus. God is not done creating. It's not always going to be like this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, uh, this season, this season that has been so um, taken captive by lesser things and by the things of this world. And I pray in these days and weeks that you would lift our gaze from the immediate to, um, to, to the hills where our help comes from. And that uh, each one of us would know you in a, in a, in a personal and in a, in a life-altering way this Christmas season. Thank you, God, that whatever our station in life that we can lean on the promise that you make to us in your word that it will not always be like this. Thank you for the joy and the hope and the peace that we find in that. Thank you that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We love you and we ask that you would help us to love you more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.